right. Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey, everybody. How's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So I've been trying to, as as we, the theme has gone, optimize my day and really more my energy. And so what's, what I've been focusing on a lot lately is exercise and this concept of deep work and really getting into some things and, and something I want is just a greater sense of concentration throughout the day. So I've been really, uh, I've been stopping reading the news and just kind of shutting all of that out and trying to focus on work. And so what I've been doing is reading about people that are, you know, have been, have done really good things. And, and there is this study that in this book that's called rest, there's a study on what separated the top scientists. And so they had all of these scientists from one year, they tracked them to see who produced the most papers. You know, there's a couple Nobel prize winners and they tried to look for what separated them. Was it intelligence? Was it the university they went to? And the only thing they found that uh, was the highest correlate to good, uh, good success was exercise. And so a lot of, and they're talking about like kind of create like very in-depth exercise. So a lot, some people were marathon runners, some were cross-country skiers, some were downhill skiers, but they all had like their thing. And so they, you know, they were just talking about how the body needs exercise to enhance your concentration, your energy level, where, you know, I had this, this thing and I don't know what it was from, where I thought rest was like sitting down and, you know, not doing too much. But they were saying things like playing an instrument, you know, having, you know, activities that you like to do, like tennis, golf, some of that stuff. So that was, it was good for me to just kind of circle back on that. Cause I think growing up, we have always had sports be a part of our life, but they should, which they said that was one of the keys to being successful. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, and then you got the Gary V's out there being like, you should work 21 hours a day. And yeah. And that says that's actually way false. <laughs> they said four hours of truly deep work, which is like basically mind bending stuff that really advances. So it's like a coder, for example, coding away for four hours on a product versus sending a bunch of emails that, you know, really don't do much. And they were, what's hard in this new kind of economy where we're knowledge workers or we're people that are focused on, you know, not in a factory, we have to figure out how do we optimize our time. And you got Gary V there, you know, but that that's been proven to be completely false. By these people they just said you're just not doing good work at that point yeah i um used to talk i used to go to a coding like meetup and i met with a gentleman from github and github did an experiment where they were measuring their employees work production in terms of total lines of code committed and um efficiency uh, with projects overall and they actually cut off workers from working past 6 p.m. because past 6 p.m. coders typically actually break more stuff than they fix. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty easy to measure. Too. It's, it's really it's easy awesome. in coding, which is terrific. Uh, it's way different when you're not doing that sort of like rigorous, you know, kind of um, calculations, really. I mean, that's what code is, is a giant calculation. Um, it's not very challenging for me to blast off emails berating somebody at 10 p.m., you know, <laughs> which is typically <laughs> what you what you see after hours is the uh, punchy emails start coming out. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, so I, I, did, I tend to do a lot of work from like 7.30 to 10 or 11 is like I 
I find that to be a productive time for me because uh, I don't have any meetings. And so. Um, well, and that's like your deep work time. It is. Yep. And certain people, you know, they, they kind of talk about when everybody does it best. I think mine is in the morning. That's my best time. Mm-hmm. And I try to, I've been getting up earlier and earlier and I've been shutting meetings out before 10 a.m. It's such shit to have an 8 a.m. meeting. Your day is just oh, screwed. Oh my gosh. You can't get anything I know. done. Well, then you like, you're rushed in your kind of morning routine. Yeah. Our clients actually just instituted a policy where they don't allow any meetings up until 10 a.m. I think or 11 o'clock, um, which I Which love. that's specific time. So that's like... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My, my employer is not following that policy, but it's just the client site, but uh, it's, it's a health system and uh, I kind of appreciate it. I appreciate the attempt at least because meeting culture with zoom has just gotten way out of hand. Out of control. Yeah. Absolutely out of control. And um, they also implemented a admin week next week, which is a moratorium on meetings. So admin week. So there's, so is it like being strictly followed? Like there is no meetings. Um, there's not supposed to be, I'm sure there are people who are still, you know, doing stuff or whatever. They're they're cheating. Yeah. If you are, I've been told that if you like have a high, you know, a high value deliverable that just can't wait, you can have one-on-ones or whatever, but you shouldn't be calling. Isn't that everything though? Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, do you have like medium, you know, I just, it's just funny that they, well, that's so key right now in our workload because, um, I work in a data and analytics department and we just get requests all of the time from people that are like, Hey, can you do this thing for us? And the previous format was basically like, okay, let's figure out the size and scope and then try and deliver it. And it's just gotten out of hand because you got people asking for stuff. That's just like not super value add. And so they're in this culture change of like trying to negotiate client expectations. And every single time I go to the client and I'm like, okay, let's talk about which work we should do first. The answer is always met with, well, why can't you just do all of it right now? <laughs> like That was the meeting I was in on Thursday. It's like, you're kidding. You should just be able to deliver it all for us right now. Like, you should get more people and just get it all to us. It's like, okay, that is, I wish my uh, supervisor was there to hear that message though, because he would have just been like, okay, I'll go to bill and talk about getting more FTEs and you guys are, you know, losing a bunch of money right now. So that's not going to work. He's good at managing those expectations. And um, it's, uh, it's just an out of control contract. We probably have like 20% too much staff that work that's not even under contract and we're still supposedly under delivering it's a it's a really tough tough situation but um great learning experience as they say uh, i always like catch myself when i'm in an email and i'm like this is a problem you know throw the positives behind it we've got a very big opportunity in hospice referrals <laughs> because one you don't do them <laughs> Have you guys considered expanding? <laughs> anyway, I don't, know. Yeah. I don't know how you spin the negative into a positive. And you, different situation because you're not as worried about the political game internally. You're, you know, more of a small shop. So you're probably, but you probably do that within your sales pitches all the time. I mean. Oh, man. I my My thing is what's the political situation going on in the other side? Correct. So I have to play ball and figure out what their issues are, you know, and we've got, you know, we've got our own challenges on our team, uh, but, you know, figuring how to thread a solution into a, an organization is comp, you know, it's complicated because there's really one or two decision makers, but they kind of hide or some people hide them. So, you know, it's complicated and just getting on people's calendars is tough. And then everybody likes it always, you know, they always are like, oh, this is great. And then it just stops, you know, so it's yep, like totally. learning how to 
get to yes. pull things out of people and get get the real conversation going is always complicated. And I and I've been very excited because I've been learning a lot more about how to handle that differently. And there's a couple people that I've I've been reading a book and then I just found kind of like some examples. And this guy has tons of videos of him just coaching people on how to go through it. So I've just been watching those and I just feel a lot more empowered because it is like a much more upfront way of dealing with these things. But there's a lot of little psychological things you can do and just questions to try to try to get it out. But, you know, the biggest thing that I have found and this is kind of the biggest sales piece is instead of getting on and blasting through your PowerPoint, just I've been trying to leave those things behind and just have more of a conversation and ask better questions. And, you know, you, it's just such a, it's like such a nuanced thing to do. And when you, you hear somebody that's really good at sales, everybody just is like, Oh my God, they're so, you know, it's just like such a skill. We've got a, uh, I'm in consulting. So obviously we have a major PowerPoint culture and everything is oh yeah put it in the slide and uh i actually don't do slides uh really well i always end up just like writing thoughts on the slide anyways like i don't have time to make a cute graphic like you know what i mean i just if it's a chart or like information sure i'll put it in a table but um i that's not my talent and i actually started employing your Amazon or the Amazon technique where I write up a one pager before every one of my weekly meetings with basically like what I've done, the key things I need their impact on. And my goal is like, if somebody were not at the meeting, they would one, know exactly what we were talking about. And two, they would know exactly what I needed their feedback on. And it was a super breath of fresh air for people out of the gate. And I have no idea if anybody gives a shit about it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's new. It's new. So yeah. <laughs> everybody loves it. It's the honeymoon phase. And then it's kind of like, yeah. But if you're, I, I put a, I put a decent amount of time into those things. And, uh, but then you're going to be prepared as hell. Absolutely. So that's great. I know exactly what I want to talk about. And if I stick to that thing, I almost just start reading it because like, when I um, think through what I want to say in like form, I can just I can just read it. And I actually tried to like, okay, let's spend the first two minutes of the meeting reading it. And then the client was like, well, wait, you expect me to read this? And I was like, fine, I'll just talk it through. <laughs> you tried it. I tried, and it just <laughs> it's so let break. it's so hard. Hey, why, don't you, why doesn't everybody read this for 30 seconds? Oh my God. Yeah. It would be when you're Jeff Bezos. You could do that. When you have your own, I mean, you could do that if at like your own company or, you know, once you're moving up, but yeah, with customers, it's tough. And it's, it's not their culture. I get it. Um, I love it, the it, word documents though. I love them. And I've been doing that now for my sales meetings and man, do we make progress with that yeah everybody just checks out during presentation mode exactly everybody does and it's just not conducive to uh to actual progress because people nitpick like stuff that is not material you know and my my other thing has been like this week i've just noticed myself talking a lot and i'm going to try to not talk as much like that's i want to get the client talking 70 30 that's the ultimate if you can get at that 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 balance that's my goal 70 30 yeah 70 them 30 you which oh man is tough it is especially when they're talking about not value add stuff like there's a dude who's a client of ours who he just goes off the rails on a tangent and sometimes it's really high value and sometimes it's just not and it's so hard to like bring the train back in the direction that I was trying to head, you know? Yeah. One thing that I've noticed that helps me is asking extremely pointed questions. You know, oh. like 
I write out questions beforehand, like very detailed, that get tried to like, because it's in, like not these open ended. Like, tell me a little bit about. It's yeah. like, boom, you know, and that's one of the things that you know I've been learning with, and it's really helped me as you communicate. Uh, that you know what you're talking about with these questions. Yeah. So like, you know, how I've been kind of talking with my team, we're in healthcare, as I say, look at, you're a doctor and they're the patient. And so as a doctor, you couldn't be like, tell me about your, your knee pain. It's like, tell me where does it hurt? Does it hurt doing this? Yeah. You know, does it, you know, and like you really go into like solving that. And again, like my, my role is finding, finding like gaps or pain or something. And then trying to kind of connect the dots between what we do. But that, I mean, I like, I, I, it's been like the last week that has just been like, has been so helpful for me. So helpful. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, non-work stuff. Uh, (laughs) yeah you can tell what we've been doing a lot lately yeah you know my mind like this weekend i try to tell myself i need to not do work stuff because i've been so like my every ounce of myself has been trying to work yep yeah i've been uh working and then managing a a a choppy sleep schedule Um, have my hands in considerably more poop than I used to. I got peed on this morning for the first time, which it's a good introduction, you know. Um, was I'm, it a nice shirt? Nope. I was wearing just basketball shorts, like pretty much fresh out of getting out of the bed and uh, just chest shot, boom. And uh, No shirt on? No shirt. No shirt. Ooh. So I just Ooh. popped in the shower. Yeah, it was great. Nice and warm bath. Nice little sprinkle. <laughs> And, uh, um, my wife has been complaining about getting peed on, uh, when she's like got a nice outfit on or whatever. And so that obviously didn't happen for me. I'm sure at some point I'll be, you know, wearing a nice shirt, having to go into a meeting and have my video on, change him, just have like, you know, pee shot or poop on my collar or something like that. Like, I don't know. Uh, it's so funny though. Um, how he's like learning bodily functions like he's good at sneezing now and he's pretty good at coughing uh and he makes the cutest noise ever when he's after he sneezes it's uh, it's just makes you want to die but uh really oh my god just melts you totally um and he's start he i think i've said this once before but he's quite a loud little child i don't know what we could hear him in the background a little bit ago and it's, and it's not like, I don't know why I had this conception that like babies were just these quiet little things. Like he's just kind of a, he's kind of a brute. He just makes like a lot of noise, like kind of grunts and stuff. <laughs> yeah. He, when I remember when we were spending some time with him, he just likes to make noise. Yeah. He's, you know, it's, I don't know how it's just, uh, it's funny. Well, it's like, I mean, like my dog does that too. She just makes noise all the time. Like yeah. she just sighed like two seconds ago. It's and it's it's, it's very odd. entertaining. Uh, we had a we had a remarkably quiet household though. Like none of our dogs had ever made noise. No, you know, no, and you you know I've been in some houses and I won't name names, but they're extremely loud. We had you a know, quiet like house. Kids yelling, screaming, and I know we were active. But I don't remember the screaming and the kind of just the loud voices. I think our parents did a really good job of inside and outside voices. Yep. I heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of inside voices. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you have such a loud voice, too, just naturally without. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. He, I think, has some pipes, too. Uh, when he really wants to wail, he can be. He can be pretty loud, so uh, we'll see how that serves him. I actually was chided by our cousin 
um, for not pursuing a singing career uh, made his mother quite a bit disappointed uh, and probably grandpa too should have been a, a singer I never really liked you were in the choir though I was in the choir and I was a baritone so not a true bass like you would be a true bass I would be a bass uh, the the high school quarter system that we were on meant that you had four classes a day and and we would 80 change. minutes 86 minutes. minutes yes or seven yeah. and so if you were in choir you were in choir for a quarter of your day yeah an hour and a half and what they did to break that up is it some courses didn't you have an a and a b schedule so you would mm -hmm. do like choir one day and then like some other health class or whatever the next you use health or yeah some health or gym class mm -hmm. or if you're in a phi ed class a quarter of your day is spent in <laughs> phi ed if you had two phi ed classes half of your day was in phi ed and Which i knew very dumb some people seniors do that <laughs> two phi ed classes a day i got badminton and then i have volleyball yeah. Or it was like outdoor sports and indoor uh, sports. This is an education. <laughs> Today we're playing basketball, folks. All you basketball players, just go rip on all the kids who don't play basketball. Yeah, no it's dunking. It's the indoor hockey unit. Why don't you, all you hockey players just run circles and terrify all of the girls? Let's see how many <laughs> slap shots you can hit people yeah. with. Can you score 20 goals in the next 80 minutes on you know a girl who's terrified of you? It's like, what? What are we doing? Oh, physical education always kind of blew my mind growing up. Like when I was in it, I, you know, it was fun because I was like an athletic boy. And so that basically meant like I was just dunking on people in every unit. Like, obviously, that's going to be fun. Yeah. Talk about the <laughs> ultimate tire pump yeah. is the soccer unit yeah. I mean, or lacrosse. I was a lacrosse player. We had a lacrosse unit. Not many people played lacrosse. They gave you these really piece of crap sticks. It was like, this is just stupid. I was, you know, because I could anytime to front to butt, front to back, just dunk it in the net. Didn't matter. Behind the back, under the legs. You know, I was doing backflips. Like it was just, it was stupid. And that, that's not fun for anybody else. And I, I wish some, my gym teacher would be, you know, and I obviously would like pass the ball and get other people involved and stuff like that, but. That would be, I don't know, I always, looking back on it, I think physical education could go back to the way it was in the 1950s when you're doing, like, calisthenics and, like, stupid, boring stuff like that. But Yoga. Yoga would be great. A yoga unit. What, what do you, you think, imagine? like, okay, we have to redesign the PE. What, what, what would that look like? Um, that's a good there question. There would have to be some better nutrition education. I mean, you'd think that... Well, I'll separate out the physical education and the health, because that was how they did it in the... But yeah, yeah health... Food pyramid. Health, I think, could use a total revamp on, on the nutrition discussion, um, just because there's been so much innovation in, in food. I mean, there's been innovation everywhere, obviously, but like... I mean, nobody talked about being a vegan or vegetarian or ketogenic diet or, you know, carb counting. I mean, none of that stuff. It was like or like the, the newest thing, which is the, you know, glucose monitoring. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Peter Atia stuff like that stuff is crazy. Uh, Peter Atia went on uh, Ferris. And that is just a great episode. I've been trying to get into zone two training a bit, which is like zone two heart rate. Um, which apparently increases your mitochondrial ability to process ATP, which is supposed to you know, be like energy, huge, huge mm -hmm. kind of uh, longevity. So zone, just give everybody an idea of what zone two training would look like. Zone two training is like 45 minutes to an hour of slightly elevated heart rate. Uh, and so there are four zones, I think. Zone one is like resting heart rate. Two is just slightly above that. And then three and four are, you know, pretty aerobic. And obviously you want to be getting into zone three and four training, you know, multiple times a week. Uh, but zone two training at lengths is also supposed to be really important. So um, stationary bike, bike riding, rowing, running, walking, anything that's, uh, I mean, you could do yoga at, yoga is probably zone two. 
you know it's, yeah i did i did some zone three or four training on the <laughs> the rowing machine this morning it's my ankle it's the first time back and holy crap so um do you have the water one or do you have the uh, i got the water one okay because i don't do the water one i do the uh the, uh, the coil machine. one with that as the yeah. fan you know mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure what the resi- how the resistance is different for those two, but um... so the water one, you're basically trying to simulate water, like the consistency of water, like in a boat, and you can crank it up a little bit, but they said it's actually better for you to not have it on too hard. Correct. In yeah, of, I've uh, been told that the fan one actually like between six and seven, I think is simulating water. And then the, so you're not supposed to go all the way up. That's only supposed yep. to simulate like kind of current, but, um, what is, uh, so my zone two or my, my, my regiment or my goal is, uh, sub two minute, 2000 meters, sub two minute pace, 2000 meters. How long does that take you? Eight minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I usually do about ten minutes. What's your? And pace? I do it around two. Yeah, two, two to two oh eight, just because I'm getting back into it. Definitely, when I'm getting Her back 500. into it, I cannot keep. Uh, I cannot keep the sub twos. Uh, that's you know that's sub two, cooking. Sub two is cooking, and that's I love that goal for me because um, it's hard to to know. You know, I mean, it's just good to have numbers to put to things, especially when your workout routine is like, you know, if you're doing weights, it's hard to really know if you're succeeding or not, you know? I mean, obviously, you know. Oh, yeah, goals are, I mean, they're great in terms of just focusing, like narrowly focusing your energy on something. And I do want to get the whoop bracelet or the uh, uh, that ring that, that Peter Atia was talking about uh, that measures your heart rate and heart rate variability and all that. So stuff. what a good thing. So we got, we dropped off whoop and we're looking at Garmin cause it has some better measures. And is that there. the ring one or is that the, I don't know. So the ring one measures me- is good for sleep. I don't know. I don't know much about it. I mean, so I had whoop for probably a year, maybe a year and a half. And it was good because, you know, you could really tell if you were in zone two, it measured heart rate variability, measured sleep. It just got to be too much for me to measure myself all of the time. For sure. I don't want that either. I, I, would, I would think about it more as a passive thing, like during exercise or whatever. Yep. I did like whoop during exercise because it was easier for me to set goals and be like, all right, so whoop has basically like an activity you know, like 21 is kind of like their highest. So usually you work out and it's like 17. between 10 and 18 or yeah. something like that. Like 18 is like where you like pass out afterwards. So I would try to keep it or, you know, depending like 11 to 14. And so you could kind of set a goal and then you just look at like where you were. So that was really, motiv- it was helped me motiv- to keep my motivation and to, you know, push through those. Cause it's like your workout the most benefit is always at the end. It's always towards the end. You know, when you're, it's like those last few reps, that's where all the gains I think are made. So that's, that helped me, I think, concentrate more and stay in it longer. Cause it's so easy mentally to just give up and be like, Oh, you know, I'm fine. I did eight or whatever, but it's like, like your rowing example, it's like, okay, I got to hit, I'm, I'm not to my two minute pace. So you have to just bang for the last, you know, two minutes, mm-hmm. which drives, you know, pushes you a little farther. And if you are into rowing, I highly do not recommend, or I, I really avoid Converse sneakers uh, <laughs> because I have a rip in both shoes that is now spanning about 80 percent of the inside seam of the shoe where is the rip it 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 started basically right where the shoe flexes Hmm. and i've had these shoes forever they're just beaten to shit um well you usually wear your shoes out so i have a tendency to wear clothing to it's absolutely disintegrating off of my body and uh (laughs) 
it's not just one rip it's two or three rips <laughs> much to the chagrin of my mother um oh my gosh i know but uh so these shoes are ripping apart and i need to retire them because my feet are now slamming the front of my uh toe box yeah. and uh it's just yeah, not fun but good. rowing has been the absolute demise of these shoes because i got a small rip in them and then for whatever reason the motion of just like you know you pulling yourself back or whatever has just absolutely destroyed these things so converse shoes not meant for rowing but uh i got adidas and they do great i i i, I might need to get a different pair because i love Free marketing i love yeah <laughs> sponsored by <laughs> anyway um the uh, Converse shoes, though, I love because they're flat bottoms for weightlifting. So, because uh, I hate having like an elevated heel or like a running shoe that has too much cushion. And the new mm-hmm. running shoes are wild, like those Fuka with that rounded heel or whatever. I mean, it just changes the game. Oh my gosh, I know. Well, I was reading the the Phil Knight biography on Nike, and they just talked about how the kind of waffle shoe changed running too. Mm-hmm. And so much better, but it wasn't designed to do powerlifting. That's for sure. No, I wonder if I invested in a decent running shoe that I would enjoy it, because I just hate running. And I realized that it's probably worse because I'm usually running on cement in a Converse, so it's just like yeah, the that worst. doesn't do well for your arches or anything. Uh-uh. Running shoes do make a big difference. Um, you know, again, it's like you're going to run a couple times and they'll feel good, and then it's going to go back to being running again when um you had said what's the ideal gym class i mean it's going to vary obviously by age but um i think that's an interesting question um i would love to see more um honestly i would probably just do mobility stuff all the time and then something semi-competitive that involves getting the heart rate up yeah. So um, I do this like five exercise, low back pain alleviating routine that um, involves basically like hip mobility stuff. So you're doing low lunges and, you know, reaching up to the side and whatever and trying to stretch out your low back and stretch out your hips because, you know, our pain sitting in a desk is just obviously terrible. Uh, and um, low back pain is low back pain and knee pain is just an absolute epidemic for the world and will be forever. I mean, it's going to be, so, you know, I do these five different exercises that are aimed at, uh, trying to, uh, uh, increase hip mobility. So I would probably focus all around that kind of stuff is like, you know, um, and I, I, you can probably hear the baby in the background. Is that right? Definitely can. <laughs> I don't know why she didn't shut the door. Anyway, uh, just give me one second. I'll go uh, close that door. As with all things kids, the second that you do something about it, you don't need to do anything about it anymore. I mean, he shuts up right when I close the door. Yep. That's anyway. I don't know. What would you think about ideal exercise uh, kind of education for, let's just call it high schoolers? High schoolers? I mean, I would teach them how to run. I would teach them running form. And, you know, what was entertaining for me, and I think I've said this before, but I learned how to run in college, in track in college. And I had, like, I had no idea how to start running. I don't know how to run right now. I'm like, a 31-year-old so the- year right. man. I don't know how to run. So, <laughs> so I, I had I, an amazing... All-state athlete, still don't know how to run. <laughs> so, the, I learned how to, like, so, okay, so I ran the 100-meter dash. Which, as you know, the most important thing, or maybe maybe if you don't know, the most important thing in the 100-meter dash is your acceleration. 
And so what most what I was taught in high school, which is completely wrong, was short, choppy steps to start. When you watch those guys in the blocks in the hundred, if you watch the Olympics, they are trying to get as powerful in their steps as possible. Mm-hmm. So what they're trying to do is like stored energy to accelerate because you want your fastest point. I mean, it really depends on who you are, but like our, my goal was always at 60 meters to get to full speed, but the entire time you were building. So you weren't like trying to blow a gasket at the start, <laughs> you know, like basically squeal your wheels. Mm-hmm. You were trying to build power with each step. And so the goal in running is to like, you start very big. And so if you watch the guys come out of the locks, their steps are huge. Yep. You know, they're trying to like use as much power in their legs as possible. So I didn't know this till my so- sophomore year of, co- of college running the hundred meter dash and track. And I ran my best time. Like every, every single time from then on was better. <laughs> it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I specifically remember one time you being like, oh, you know, in running, you're not actually supposed to push off the ground. You're supposed to pull yourself forward. I was like, what? Are you serious? That's yeah. how you're supposed to do it? And that was like earth shattering. But that's like a tiny piece of information that if you have kids in an athletic sport, like, why wouldn't you say that? <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Like, well, I, I, uh, so we, we went to a little kid's soccer game and I, this weekend. We went to a nephew's soccer game, which oh, was God. fun. Seeing the kids run, I was just like, oh, my gosh. These kids could be 20 to 30% faster. Yeah. Minimum. Minimum. And you you teach a kid so young. So, of course, uh, your little guy and my little guy are going to be just speed demons. Perhaps. We're (laughs) going to have running practice at the cabin. Much like math class during summers at the Moen household. We're going to have sprinting clinics. We're going to have sprint clinics. Um, which I think one of our, one of our the, the ski clinics. <laughs> yeah, we got, you're going to have ski. I mean, it's going to be a summer camp up there, yeah. but I think, you know, for me, it's, uh, learning that was mind bending and it, it, I mean, I played football and it's funny to listen to the football coaches. Cause I had one who just like thought he knew what he was talking about. I'm like, dude, I am an all American sprinter. Let me tell you how to run. <laughs> Yeah. You don't tell me how to run. Seriously. You were a you were a linebacker, so you don't know how to run. So it's like really <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh my god. Linebackers, they always have such heavy feet. Yep. You have to though. You have to have that, you know, kind of like low stalking energy. That's terrifying. Heavy feet and a heavy head. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it's like those I think ru- teaching running would be really good good thing one of the things we were so i was talking about some friends of mine who we all track runners the stats they have on some of the running things are so cool now the olympics they're gonna have some pretty awesome stats they have like you know top speed and you know from somebody who's such a running geek like me it was really cool well that for me would be what i would do in physical education is i would incorporate the statistics and then, you know, put heart rate variability monitors on everybody, kind of the orange theory thing. And then like, all right, today we're going to try and smash our heart rate. And then, you know, you can give kudos to the kids who are like not, you know, varsity athletes for just going out and getting their heart rate up. Yeah. Uh, and that's all that's that, a really good idea. That's all that the exercise should be doing in the first place is like warm-up exercises something to get the competitive juices and the heart rate flowing and then like a cool down in meditation and like you know okay now feel your body at rest like let's lower the heart rate down okay now go back and sit in your damn chair in that class you know (laughs) yeah that's what i would think about um well it's like how do you build a sustainable habit of exercise for your entire life and that's inclusive of people who aren't varsity athletes (laughs) Who aren't getting dunked on, you know, dunking in the eight foot gym yeah. basketball hoops. 
oh man uh, or dodgeball like i got an idea let's have the kids throw stuff at each other <laughs> to have some of the really big kids with fully developed arms yeah let's put the baseball throw. players against the girls and see how that goes it's like oh no 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 we had we played a game which we all thought we were really funny which was face shots only <laughs> Uh, and then I, I remember the consequences being so low, like you hit somebody in the dome and then they're like, Oh, you, whoever threw it was out, but it's, you know, it's more not fun like... to hit somebody in the dome <laughs> than it is to stay in. And it's always, it was always so mortifying for me to hit like a very, you know, unassuming or, um, you know, not into it person in the face or if they had glasses, that was the worst. If you like hit yeah. the kid in the face with glasses, uh. I'll never forget when I gave a girl a bloody nose in the volleyball unit. That was uh, not Was good. that with the ball or with your body? It was the ball. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're playing volleyball, and I love the volleyball unit because then you've got girls who are really into it, and I think that's just so much more fun when, you know, everybody on the – on uh, you know, there's, there's not a huge differential between the male and female players, which, you know, if you're going to play basketball or, you know, whatever it is, there's just a difference. Um, and so, uh, well, not according to the NCAA, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no if you go to, if you go to the high school down the road, you're probably going to see a difference. Uh, but, um, there's a volleyball unit and, you know, just perfect little set up for me. And I'm just like, all right, I got this. Here I go. Just going to crush it. And I just slam it right into a girl's face. Who's right. You know, and this is the most not the nicest girl and you know she's sort of a part of our friend groups and would never hurt a fly kind of like the all-american chick and i just wailed her in the face and you know blood everywhere uh i felt so horrible after that oh that really it never feels good to do that no except for the kids that have no remorse which there are those people and frankly I was always just afraid of those people. Like there's people in your high school. They're usually guys that just have no remorse whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious in their conduct. And Mm -hmm. I was always nervous around those types of people. I think most people are. That's probably why uh, everybody's obsessed with these serial killer documentaries because they're trying to identify them early. We were <laughs> yeah. Well, talking, according to women, <laughs> that, yeah, that's I exactly. Talking, <laughs> I was talking about that with my wife. We, she was like, "Oh, I was really nervous because it looked like he was being mean to to animals." So I was just worried about him being a serial killer. I was like, "Oh my gosh, here we that go." That is insane. And for the background, those of you who haven't heard, uh, both a lot of women are big into crime scene things, and. Uh, <laughs> You have to watch the murder porn episode of South Park uh, because I think it's very hilarious. Uh, it gets into this. Anyway, so when asked, sometime just ask, ask a woman who, or ask a person who really likes the murder podcast or the murder shows. Um, and the answer you will get is it helps me better prepare. Mm-hmm. Every time. Which, Without fail. Which is pretty wild to think about and it's also i think because i am rarely concerned for my safety you know i don't i don't walk around like worried that something's gonna happen to me and that's different for a lot of women like that's top of mind which blows my mind first of all that like safety would be a concern because it's just not a thought of mine no not at all and you know my my wife when she was younger she took a self-defense class and like thought it was the greatest thing ever you know so she even like you're actually told in a self-defense class not to tell your husband or significant other what the tactics are because they you will most likely need to use them on them oh my god (laughs) it's like that's intense that intense um but yeah as a as a guy you know the only time i felt afraid is if you know you've been in the wrong part of town sure and then yep but that's an avoidable avoidable thing you can get around 
but it, it kind of blows my mind that um, women are sort of in that state all of the time, because even in the right part of town, uh, certainly probably to a lesser degree, but they're just at a strength disadvantage, you know, as far mm-hmm. as just any situation goes. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it just still blows my mind. Uh, and I don't know that there's a solution to it, really. You know, I think certain degree there's kind of a biological do you feel more protective now that you have absolutely a a baby i I was like going out into intersections and taking on cars initially when we (laughs) when we would cross the street because it was just like oh my god this thing can't be tapped but now i'm like scaled back a little bit like we can walk across the street and i trust myself that i don't need to go into the intersection and like blow a whistle and stop traffic to have the baby walk across the street start doing some squats in the middle of the street so they so they know see. who they're dealing with totally yeah like get in a i honestly have thought about like i could probably you know like how much damage could i do to a car like i've thought about like yeah if i jump with my elbow exert. will i hit them through the windshield <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just stupid it's like uh push the kick push the stroller out of the way that's what you're gonna do and yeah, it's like, well, but then I'll use my body to roll into the car, blah, 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 whatever. This is stupid. Well, it's that prepare thing that we have in us where we take you take your car keys out, which I got a new car. And so I don't it's keyless entry. So I've been really. I've been really thrown off lately. Well, I mean, because I will take my keys out and I don't need to. That's just think about how much time you have just put back on the clock of Sam. In terms of where your attention is focused. Oh, big time. I mean, this is like massive increase in attention. I mean, it locks itself on the way out, too. So, Oh, my I mean, gosh. Jeez. That's half my day. You, you've just earned back a significant... You, that that increases work output. You know, that's what it comes big, down to. <laughs> big, it's those little... It's those small things that add up. Yeah. You know, it's compounding interest exactly. right there. Oh, I can imagine that it's totally exhausting to be around our family because it's like that all the time. Oh, just you ask your significant other. I know mine. I don't don't need to ask her. I already know. (laughs) (laughs) Coming home from a weekend at the in-laws is always, there's always some Some decompression. Decompression. Mm -hmm. Because we just do things a little differently. We do. Uh, Speaking of the running clinic. I mean, all day, every day. Exercise. Scheduled relaxation. Projects. <laughs> are today we, we're going to learn are how we to okay? cut a tree with sandals on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do we have scheduled relaxation time yet, Mom? <laughs> no. No, we don't. No. We're going to dinner at the neighbor's, so we had to cancel scheduled. Yeah, scheduled training. relaxation time is cut short tonight, boys. <laughs> Our break has been scheduled. <laughs> All right, now it's time for tea. <laughs> and tonight's discussion will centralize <laughs> around the topic of conversation is going to be healthcare, and this time we're going to focus on the provider market. Yesterday was the insurance market, and at which time I noticed the eye rolls of the wives become too too frequent for ignoring we will change topics to dogs and then <laughs> then we're going to go to babies dogs weddings we're going to hit topic two <laughs> neighbors uh, or you know family members new accomplishments latest addition to the family uh and in summary we're educating you for those of you who don't know us on what we like to call the program mm-hmm. and you got to get with the program baby <laughs> You're on the bus or you're off the bus. It's not that bad. Oh, it's It's just more. It's more of like a a wave. You know, it's like you gotta. Are you gonna catch the wave or miss? Like, there's a wave of activity. And if you miss the wave of like, all right, we're gonna go. We're all gonna go up to the garden and start digging post holes. You know, and it's like if you miss the wave, then there's a huge kind of relax period. But the wave's coming back at some point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Today, so, we are going to move dirt from one location to another. Get your shovels. <laughs> yep. 
but we really did need to move the dirt. That's the thing is that ultimately there's a good reason for moving the dirt and it's, and you may not know it yet, but this task has been scheduled and thought about and the downstream impacts. And let me just put it this way. Like, um, all of the work that we have. So when we go up North to our, our cabin, uh, there is a scheduled program and the work required to get done gets done. And for the weddings that we put on last year, it was an absolutely terrific um, event center, terrific event center because of all the work that we did. And then this year I've had a baby. And so I haven't done any work and I cannot tell you how amazing it is to be up there and have just like all this stuff that's been done in preparation for just not having to do it again. I mean, the garden is functioning and I realize there's this, you know, ongoing work there, but like, you know, our, the, the heavy lifting the has heavy been lifting, done, it's been a ton of which is lifting. like putting a fence up, you know, my, you know, the last thing they did is an irrigation, you know, to make it easier. And it makes these times so much better because uh, there's just so much infrastructure set up. <laughs> we well, got... Adam, that is the plan. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that was... it the plan <laughs> yeah, exactly we got we got the new deal happening every weekend up at shell lake <laughs> yeah yeah and what the nice thing was is you know there's there's not work just for work's sake there's always a goal so you know you can feel like it's it's done for a reason and it's for those of you who the program is is much like the new deal it's it's basically like the 1950s as far as the war's over and we're just getting stuff done. We're getting the economy back on track. We're, we're <laughs> it's the roaring, it's the roaring fifties up there. I mean, it really I, is. Head held high. People are. Yeah. Cause stuff. we had two weddings last summer, which was like, kind of like the war, you know, it was just so yeah. much. Henry Ford was just cranking out tanks yep. all the time. I mean, we were in my, my family. I mean, what was really nice is when you have a such a supportive family helping you with these i mean you feel very loved and supported and that's i think how our family shows support and love too is effort and work and uh, help it's a acts of service family that's for Mm -hmm. sure and so you know you when you go through these events you feel very humbled by all the work that happened and all the weekends that people went up instead of you know oh we're gonna go hang out on you know the river or go out to eat or you know there's just a lot of other things to do mm-hmm. and everybody was up there working away which you have these events and you see the fruits of the labor which is you know we were super lucky to benefit from that absolutely and, and you hope you can kind of move things along and you know as a as you know, somebody who reaps the benefits, you, you wonder how you can in the future help and make progress on it further. And I know we've got a couple tasks, you know, you've got your, your son and I've got mine. So we have some, some work we're going to have to do, but, uh, going up North is definitely a, it's such a, a, a nice place and you feel very supported up there. Totally. And, uh, the, the ongoing new deal uh, is just just great. It just makes the place so remarkably livable and so comfortable. Uh, so it's certainly not uh, without forethought, as we were saying, much like the new deal, you know, crafted for specific, <laughs> the get, get America back to work plan. It's basically like it's, instead of doing work for your, for your job or your client, let's work for the family. I love it. Yep. Honestly, but uh, it's uh, it's challenging to see, uh, and I think it's funny that our cousins are now kind of pointing it out, uh, and you know we can jest about it a little bit. Uh, I'm sure the aunts and uncles have known for a long time, but uh, the amount of me, well, yeah, and the you me see when these, go ahead. you see these families start to expand, and you know. Uh, we, uh, you know, the space that's kind of required when you have 
couple kids and then they have a couple kids. I mean, it really, there's, there's some stress in that. There Um, is. Yeah. And we are suckers for comfort. I'll tell you that, um, you know, comfort has made us soft to a degree, which, uh, wasn't that the latest uh, Joe Rogan guest on anti-aging? He's a Harvard researcher said, um, we have become very soft in the last 50 years because of our comforts. There's no question that it's true. Um, yeah. Uh, even such, like I, you know, um, that's one thing I don't like about the weight, the, the exercise facility is I'm inside. I wish that, you know, it would be so much more healthy or healthier for me if it were like, you know, lift and it sounds stupid, but like, chopping wood or like moving boulders, you know, like you're outside, you're touching nature, you're getting dirty, you're getting those microbes. That stuff is the real health going into the gym and pumping out bicep curls is, is good. It's, uh, I think, you know, shortchanging the positive effects that exercise and interaction with nature can, uh, definitely give. Well, I think you, you think of all the work that you do up at the cabin. I mean, you're moving stuff around, and it is kind of like an exercise, too. It's healthy. Which is, is probably why you feel pretty good after doing all that work. Well, and that's the whole Blue Zones research right there. Uh, the Blue Zones that have, you know, these centenarians or centenarians, mm-hmm. people who are over 100. Routine, 100 years. Um, yep. They have daily tasks that require... Um, things to you know movements and you know so even hundred year olds are splitting wood and making fires and cooking and you know doing whatever it is going out and milking the cow or you know getting you know moving moving whatever it is that it's that sort of movement and all that stuff is actually kind of like zone two training when you think about it yeah I think you're that's a that's like a perfect coordination between the two mm-hmm. and that's something that we're slowly phasing out of our lives because you're in zone one and then it's like, okay, I'm going to go exercise and be zone four. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think there's, you know, that steady sort of activity heart rate is, uh, going to be something that I think there's going to be more research that it's, it's, it's really critical. And so hopefully we can have desk desk culture and computer culture evolve with it. At this point, it's very clear that it's not, but, uh, so the goal is to get into zone two this week. That's our goal. Zone two. And for uh, what, 45 minutes a day? Um, I am right now doing like specific zone two training, at least two, try to go three times a week. And then I do zone three and four, um, about four. So that's my goal. Um, and Peter Atia said 45 minutes to an hour is what he shoots for. So that's what I'm, but doing. he's a psycho. So you don't need to start there. Yeah. He's, uh, he is a psycho, but, I do, and one last final thing, I do really appreciate how him and Tim Ferriss go deep on faulty science, and Peter Atia has a series of papers about how to interpret scientific literature, which I agree with those two guys, could be one of like the core things that our society is just absolutely missing, because we have so many interpreting people science. interpreting science incorrectly, and then, you know, clickbait articles, fake causality, and it's just like... Yeah, we talk about that all the time at work. Um, There's a lot of, I mean, what's what's the you know what's the two second bit or the two minute bit on science? Like they say that reading articles. I'd be curious. What do you mean? So what does he say is kind of the? the Oh, he it's basically a lecture series. It's a paper series about how to interpret scientific literature and like the things to look out for that are common misconceptions in literature like you know their sample size isn't large enough or they're drawing conclusions from not statistically significant uh findings or uh i mean it's kind of simple stuff but uh i think their podcast talks about um the series in greater lengths and um it's just i think scientific literature is something that i um it's not fun to read you know it's boring talk about deep work yeah, uh, I just got a, a, a 45 pager from a PhD that I work with. And 
I work with this one dude. He reads so fast. I can't believe it. And he comprehends everything. He'll, he'll just breeze through like a 45 re page research paper in like 20, 30 minutes. And it's just nothing for him. But all he does all day is read scientific literature. He's a, he's a department head of, uh, at, at the university of Minnesota and that I just have so much reverence for his ability to comprehend and it's when you it's do something deep work right there, man, that's deep work. It's so people deep. that can people that can get into that zone and stay there instead of like having your mind bounce around all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the goal. Yep. Totally. Well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week and we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room.